Good afternoon. My name is John Herbst. I'm the director of the Dino Patrizio Eurasia Center. Uh, thank you for joining us today. And as uh, my staff tells me, I make sure I should tell you that for those of you watching at home or abroad, you can follow the conversation on Twitter at handle at AC Eurasia and at hashtag uh, future Ukraine. So just keep those in mind if you want to follow us. Uh, we have a very important event for you today. Uh, we're going to be talking about reform and corruption in Ukraine. As we all know, Ukraine faces two extraordinary challenges. Challenge one is the Kremlin's aggression, first in Crimea and now in Ukraine's east. The second is an internal reform, a transformation of the country, which should have been started in 1991, but has only been taking shape over the last year or two, or last year plus. Uh, right now in Ukraine, there's a great deal of focus on the absence of reform in the Procurator General's office and, and in the judiciary. And in fact, reform in those two institutions is absolutely essential, and we hope that the leadership in Ukraine will move on them soon. But it's also true we've seen some substantial reform in Ukraine over the past year. Um, everyone talks about corruption, but without doubt, the ground zero of corruption in Ukraine for the past 25 years has been the gas sector. And the changes wrought in Naftahaz over the past year plus uh, in legislation bringing market prices to the gas market has been exceptional and critical. Changes in the Ministry of Finance and the Ministry of Economics in terms of reducing regulations in the Ministry of Economics, producing a real budget in the Ministry of Finance have also been exceptional. So we have a mixed record on reform in Ukraine. Some good, some not so good. With the low in the fighting in the East, we hope that the leadership in Ukraine will spend more time dealing directly with the issues of corruption. And with that, we have a panel today which will provide some insight into this. I would like to now ask Alexa Chapisky, the architect of this event, and an activist herself, the executive director of the American Center for European Ukraine, to come up and introduce our panelists and, to moder and our moderator. Thank you very much. Alexa. Thank you, John. I'd like to echo Ambassador Herbst's warm welcome and thank the Atlantic Council for co-hosting and partnering with the American Center for European Ukraine today for what will be an important discussion. I'd also like to thank Ukraland Farming for helping to make today's event possible. I have the honor to introduce our distinguished panel. Slava Vakarchuk is the lead vocalist for what is, by most accounts, Ukraine's most famous rock band, Okyanalzi. He is a current Yale World Fellow and a social and civic activist. Steve, Steve Fisher is the CEO of Citibank Ukraine. <laughs> Anna Dervianko is the executive director of the European Business Association in Kiev. And Ihor Petrashko is the deputy CEO of Ukraland Farming. 
Hristia Freeland was originally scheduled to moderate today. Um, we forgive her. As you know, she recently became Madam Minister. Uh, she's a Minister of International Trade in Canada as of last week. Um, one of our panelists, Andy Hunder, has kindly taken over these duties and will serve as our moderator slash panelist today. So thank you all for coming today. And at this point, I'd like to hand the microphone over to Andy Hundor and invite our panelists up to the stage. Thank you. Good afternoon, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, thank you, um, uh, Alexa, thank you, um, John, thank you, Atlantic Council, for hosting us um, this, this afternoon. Um, the topic, as John said, is an extremely um, important one today, for not only for Ukraine, but for the future of, um, of Europe. Um, and um, in terms of the topic, securing um, the future of Ukraine in terms of um, winning the fight against corruption. Um, it is probably one of the biggest issues that we face, the panel here, um, because the war um, with Russia in Donbass and what the consequences and how that's going to proceed. But I think we, on a daily basis, uh, based in, um, in Kiev, uh, is one of the biggest challenges that we face on a daily basis. Um, at the American Chamber of Commerce, last Tuesday, we presented our uh, Corruption Perception Study. It's a report, it's a 54-slide uh, report in terms of what the business community uh, operating in Ukraine, what they perceive in terms of corruption. And there's a lot of details in this. We'll be more than happy to share this with you uh, to show what, what really the sentiments of the international business community is in terms of the perception of corruption. And what is interesting, we did this uh, study uh, a year ago, so we can now uh, gauge and we can now um, compare what the perception was in 2014 and what the perception is, is today. This is the business community. Um, I think in terms of um, people doing business in Ukraine, um, if there's one person um, probably more experienced, well, well, the, the number one most experienced American operating in Ukraine today is Steve Fisher. Steve, uh, CEO of Citibank uh, Ukraine. Um, Citibank have for a number of years in a row now been uh, recognized the most profitable bank operating in Ukraine. Uh, Steve has been recognized as one of the leading bankers uh, working in Ukraine. So Steve, if I can open with you, um, you know, if we start from the big picture, work, working in Ukraine and the, the corruption, what, what influence does corruption have on you, your daily business in Ukraine? Sure, thank you, Andy. Um, what I'd like to start with is actually going back a step and looking at corruption generically and then um, analyzing are the generic effects of corruption also present in Ukraine? And having gone through this exercise, I was not surprised at the result. But basically, when you look at what corruption means, um, first, it hurts democracy and the rule of law. It creates social unrest. It reduces transparency of the political process and for business. It hurts nation building and depletes national wealth. And it becomes an obstacle to development. And one case I always like to cite is that only six months ago did Ukraine receive 3G technology for telecommunications, whereas three years ago, Somalia was already on 4G. 
And this was purely because of corruption. Um, and this affects everyone. It's not just national development. It affects everyone on the street. It affects communication. Corruption leads to higher costs for services and for goods. It creates an incorrect funneling of scarce public resources. It damages prospects for future generations. It creates apathy in society. And it reduces the strategic ability of a country to compete and defend itself. And another case we'll point out is that when um, there was trouble in the East and the Russian and separatist um, aggression against Ukraine began, the Ukraine army and armed forces, because of corruption, were totally defanged, ridden with corruption, and totally ineffective at this point in time. Another very concrete example. What does corruption do? It lowers the stimulus for technological development. When we look at Ukraine with its rich and intelligent population, how many global service centers do we have in Ukraine right now? When you look at Poland or India or the Philippines, Ukraine could clearly fill this role as well. What else does corruption do? It creates an enormous shadow economy and lowers the tax base and disenables the, the government from pursuing reforms. And no need to say about lowers the attraction of the country for FDI. Right now, Ukraine has about $1 billion of uh, foreign direct investment on a GDP of $100 billion. That's, that's about 1%. For countries in emerging Europe, a healthy ratio would be, to, would be between 7 to 10% annually of the GDP, but at 1%, um, Ukraine cannot develop with that very low, anemic level of foreign direct investment. And I'll quote an IMF report in 2010 that states that corruption also has an adverse impact on education and on health care. Um, again, negative effects for the, for the people on the street. And all of these effects are evident in Ukraine. Everything I mentioned is a problem that Ukraine faces because of corruption. And when you look at Transparency International, the Corruption Index, last year Ukraine was ranked 142 out of 175. So the statistics also show that there's a long way to go. Now what we're here today to talk to you about is not about just the problems, but I wanted to set the stage very generically of how corruption affects every aspect of society, of nation building. Of, of people on the street. But we will also talk about what has been done and what can be done. We'll, we'll leave that to later. But two other things that I'd like to mention are what are the effects on business? I'd like to talk about business. One is that for every foreign business that's operating in Ukraine because of corruption, they have much higher expenses on compliance, on audit, on legal support to protect themselves against co to corruption or to ensure they have a fair say and they're treated fairly. And that, doesn't, that even doesn't go to show about how much time that people have to spend on these issues that in other countries they wouldn't have to spend. Co companies refuse to cooperate with foreign partners if they're not sure that they have protection under the rule of law. This is another issue that affects any international company or any local Ukrainian company that would like to reach out and join the global community and become an international player. It's very, very important not just to bring foreign companies into Ukraine. It's very, very important to develop Ukrainian domestic industry to internationalize. So it goes both ways. And of course, corruption creates disincentives and 
and, fr and frustration for any company that's operating in the environment. Um, one other thing I'd like to mention before I turn it back to Andy is, well, Andy just talked about the very recent survey that the American Chamber of Commerce did on corruption. It's just liter literally a few weeks old. So there were a few very interesting points that I received from reading the, the results of this survey, and I'd like to share them with you. Um, well, just to talk a little about what the survey did, um, the ACC, the American Chamber of Commerce and in Ukraine has approximately 600 members, and 99 companies participated in, in this survey, which is roughly one-sixth of the uh, membership of ACC. Uh, most of these companies were, who participated were companies with more than 100 employees. City, for example, we have 136. And 86% of the companies that participated in the survey have foreign investment as part of their capital. What did they say? They said, that 72% of them said that corruption has not decreased after the Maidan revolution in February last year. However, 65%, and we will talk about this today, 65% of the companies said that despite corruption, they still have ways to succeed in the country, and, and they are able to succeed. These companies pointed out some of the serious problems that they face. One, of course, is the rampant practice of officials still demanding bribes to facilitate the granting of a license or the speedy um, processing of a license. We still have issues, as were cited in the survey, of the misuse of, of officials' positions in terms of requesting donations or trips or other forms of kickbacks. Uh, most companies in the survey felt that the current Ukrainian anti-corruption legislation is not compliant with international standards, although later on we will actually share with you information that indicates that actually um, the most recent legislation that has been adopted by Ukraine in the last 12 months is broadly uh, meeting EU standards. What else did these companies say? They, they doubted that the entering into force of this new anti-corruption uh, leg legislation would influence their business practices. They believed that the most corrupt entities, and this is a, a difficult thing to swallow, but this is something we need to talk about today. The majority of the companies in this survey stated that the most corrupt entities are the prosecutor general's office and the courts themselves. One half of these companies felt there is no political will in the government to fight corruption. Um, and finally, I'll cite a um, recent survey that polled Ukrainian citizens. This is at the citizen level. And only 5% of the Ukrainians polled felt that the judges in the courts in the Ukraine um, really are doing their job. So this sets the stage for some of our discussion today in terms of the challenges that we have now that we face. Um, and we do hope to share what can be done, what is being done, what can be done by the various stakeholders in Ukraine's success. So I'll pass it back to you. Thank you, thank you, Steve. Um, Ehud, if I can bring you into this, um, this is the, the survey that um, uh, Steve refers to, as there have been a lot of the, the international companies working. As um, you're one of the biggest Ukrainian uh, land um, owners and a uh, big Ukrainian company, in terms of um, uh, work in Ukraine today. I mean, two, two issues I just want to raise. I mean, in terms of your, your own anti-corruption program, 
I mean, how widespread are anti-corruption programs now amongst Ukrainian companies? And um, secondly, the reputation the corruption has for your uh, company and for Ukrainian business, especially in terms of lending with the banks and um, the, the partners you work with internationally. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what influence and what effect does the corruption have on that? Yeah. Uh, th thank you for the question. Uh, I want to uh, continue what, uh, what, what Steve was uh, describing there, what negative effect like the corruption has on many uh, aspects of uh, business and, uh, in fact, to uh, fully agree that uh, the Ukrainian businesses uh, um, uh, uh, are uh, the most vulnerable, actually, and uh, have the, uh, the, the uh, experience the most negative effect from the corruption. What I want to say is that uh, Ukrainian businesses t t try to actually, if you can say that, uh, try to break from corruption twice, after the uh, Orange Revolution and after the Maidan. And uh, uh, this period normally lasts actually for about uh, six to 12 months when uh, uh, owners of the business and the uh, shareholders and the key stakeholders are ready actually to uh, start a new uh, new life, uh, I would say, and uh, try to actually do everything the right way. Uh, if it doesn't happen, unfortunately, uh, then the, most of the businesses actually have to suffer. And as, as Steve suggested, actually, they have to live in the country and they have to live under the regulations uh, which, which are there. But the cost of doing business, as, as a result, competitiveness uh, compared to uh, international uh, companies uh, suffer greatly. Uh, this is one aspect. Second, uh, what Andrew, uh, Andy is suggesting as well, that uh, uh, getting um, on good standing with international financial markets becomes more and more difficult, again, because you have high cost of operating in Ukraine, and uh, there are some additional suspicions coming from international uh, providers of financial resources. And this uh, has, uh, the corruption is not something theoretical uh, for uh, Ukrainian companies. This has a drastic, say, negative effect. And uh, I can claim that the Ukrainian businesses, most of the Ukrainian businesses, they want to live uh, in the right uh, environment whereby corruption is non-existent and they want actually to reduce their cost of business. Uh, here, uh, cost of doing business. Uh, what I would like to uh, comment as well is uh, what uh, Ukrainian businesses feel how the corruption can be reduced. And th this is not, nothing actually new. Uh, the um, corruption um, can be reduced by uh, reducing uh, uh, powers uh, by, by uh, uh, reducing powers to the uh, governing entities, by reducing regulations, by uh, doing decentralization uh, to the uh, to the uh, uh, to the state and to the powers which currently are centralized, uh, as well like decriminalization of some small uh, crimes, which uh, is the. Uh, heritage of the Soviet past that doesn't exist in Europe or United States, but it actually takes a lot of um, efforts from uh, the uh, controlling uh, and, and from the police and from the prosecution office. Uh, and what is most important, actually, uh, fight for, uh, against corruption can be won only by, uh, well, can be uh, not only, but uh, the important um, mean in fighting corruption is uh, aligning the motivation aligning the motivation and creating the system of balances there. United States has a great system of balances which was created by the founding, actually, uh, fathers of uh, U.S. Constitution, of U.S. state, and uh, this is working quite well. But this is not the only um, reason why uh, corruption 
uh, can be stopped. So the other reason is the motivation uh, should be uh, there because uh, the uh, all businesses and all individuals they are acting uh, in their best interest, and uh, there is a thought that. Uh, uh, if a person is uh, or business is allowed actually to do uh, to abuse the law, it will abuse the law. If it will not be able actually to have the right system of balances there, so uh, this is one thing. But um, I, I have a second degree in law, and I remember actually from my course in uh, in, in, in university in Lviv um, uh, University, uh, and uh, one uh, professor was saying that uh, in order to reduce the uh, it was criminology, but uh, in order to reduce the um, uh, uh, crime rates, uh, there are two factors. Well, they're very simple, actually. They've probably been centuries uh, uh, known to, to all people. Is uh, First of all, uh, the punishment. But punishment is not that important. But the probability that the punishment actually will be uh, applied there. If you actually uh, risk to be fined, I will be speaking about the economic reasons. If the potential fine can be like $1 billion, but the probability of that is zero 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 zero. Uh, one percent, so the cost of uh, this uh, to the business will be small. So business will be inclined actually to uh, optimize and to do uh, bad things. If uh, the fine is $100,000, but the probability is 100 percent, then uh, this will be applied not only actually to decision making, uh, to uh, uh, level of management who is making decision on a regular basis, but at the same time the shareholders will start to push uh, that um, uh, that something has to be done on that. So that's why, uh, in, in maybe finalizing before uh, I give to, to, to Andy, uh, I believe that uh, the next uh, challenge for uh, in Ukraine to fight corruption, there have many things done already, but there are more things even to be done, is uh, to start aligning the interest of the uh, businesses, uh, of individuals who are making decisions, uh, with the uh, objective to reduce the cost of business and to decrease actually uh, regulations completely. I, I'm, 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 I think that uh, uh, Ukraine is uh, currently on the um, on at the stage uh, whereby uh, it's ready for radical uh, reform, which hasn't been done yet. So, but and those radical reforms should be simplification of everything and reducing the government influence to the uh, to the state, uh, to the to the uh, businesses and to the uh, other elements. Mm -hmm. Just a very very quick question on that. In yep. terms of uh, Ukrainian business, I mean, how widespread do you see anti-corruption programs? amongst Ukrainian companies? Because uh, the majority of Western companies operating internationally, they're bound under the Financial uh, Corrupt, uh, the FCPA uh -huh. uh, Practice Act or the UK Bribery Act. Um, are you bound under those also? Or do you have your own um, uh, anti-corruption programs? Uh, th this is more vague, actually, in terms of Ukrainian businesses. So they are not really bound, actually, in that. But uh, uh, we have uh, our own anti-corruption activities, which uh, we try to implement through uh, reducing any uh, unauthorized payments there. Because the corruption uh, relates to the payments, which you have to actually somehow uh, 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 authorized. So that's why by reducing this authorization, in fact, uh, we uh, implement the anti-corruption practices within our group. Same is done by other companies. The issues there are that uh, uh, there are still lots of uh, regulations and uh, there are pretty much demands from many uh, institutions and authorities and the government entities which force Ukrainian businesses to uh, uh, provide some sort of actually payments because uh, otherwise they block the activities. I mean, for example, uh, 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 commissioning uh, new uh, 
plants or new, uh, 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 new factories and uh, new, new facilities. That you cannot just do it like in, in, in the normal way. So that's a big problem still, has been through uh, Yanukovych times, it still remains actually. Nobody did anything on that. So we, we just do, we just uh, avoid uh, any payments and we just operate uh, without those licenses there. But this is not probably the right way to do this and this is not sustainable for a long period of time because we cannot get, uh, we cannot use this, uh, those assets as collateral to the banks. We cannot actually get those uh, mm -hmm. for international financing. So yes, they operate. They okay. operate, they produce there, but uh, we are significantly limited by not getting like the uh, permissions and anything like that uh, on okay. that. And this is widespread situation oh. Starting from small business to the large businesses, it takes years to after you build something to commission yeah. in, in, in a normal okay. fashion. Uh, Slava Vakharshuk, if I can bring you into this. Um, one of the questions we had was, what do you think is the biggest obstacle in eliminating corruption in Ukraine? For our respondents, 48% they said it's absence of political will. 17% said the mentality of Ukrainians. And there are 27% resistance of the state's bodies to reforms. I mean, in your view, in terms of the role of civil society, what, what, what role or does civil society have a role in this sort of uh, battle against corruption? Thank you, Andy, for this question. Thank you, everybody, for listening to us. And uh, let me start from the question of mentality. I didn't mean to, to say about that, but you mentioned it. So uh, when we always talk about Ukrainian mentality or a mentality as an obstacle, let re me remind you that Northern and South Koreans possess the same mentality. This is the same nation. And they have the same grandparents. They speak the same language. They have the same traditions, though this is two different countries. So I don't think this is a question of mentality. And I don't like when people always uh, put a, a mentality as an excuse or as an, uh, a sort of you know, obstacle. Uh, I think the, the law is very important because law in South Korea was implemented by one system and like uh, was, was imposed and implemented by one system and in Northern Korea different. So coming back, so what's the biggest obstacle for Ukraine? I would say even what's the biggest enemy of Ukraine? We're talking about external enemies. In my point of view, the biggest enemy is internal one and it's called distrust. Ukrainians distrust their government. Ukrainians dis dis distrust the other people. And moreover, and most important, the Ukrainians distrust themselves. So uh, that brings us to the position where we now. What are the um, like biggest, what is the origin of this distrust? Certainly it's upbringing. Certainly it's also lack of positive roles, but mostly in my opinion, the biggest problem is lack of education because Uneducated people, they uh, are really uh, in, easily influenced people. Uneducated people are easily governed people. They do not challenge things. They do not uh, question things. And they, not, they do not oppose things. Distrust creates uncertainty. Uncertainty creates absence of rule of law. And rep absence of rule of law creates corruption. 
So this is very simple. So coming back to this point, so I think that the most important issue, long strategic issues though, not being uh, said that it's easy to, to solve today, tomorrow, or day after tomorrow. It's a long-term strategic thing, but still the most important issue is education. By meaning education, I don't mean just expertise or knowing how, you know, know-how in, in economics or law. I'm talking about different things. We need to change mindset and we need to change a perception of life of Ukrainians, but not a mentality, because mentality is different. Ukrainians' mentality is good. We are hardworking. We are people who love their families. We have people who, you know, already willing to fight our own freedom. But what we need to have a broader mind, especially while I'm talking about our elite, our elite lacks of that. Because of historical events, because of different, you know, kind of issues, we always have been surrounded. Ukraine is and built surrounded, and we are still surrounded with a wall. Outside this wall, we do have a great opportunities, uh, know-how, mindset, Western values, name it, rules, which have been implemented by many countries like the US and EU, uh, Eastern Europe, Eastern Asian countries, and different others. Some of them are more democratic, like America, some less, like Singapore or Korea, but all of them are successful because they know how, and they implemented that as sort of rule of law, and they, they just uh, keep thinking about that and keep implementing them. Having said that, uh, I want to say that my biggest advice to Ukrainian and American politicians who want to keep things together, who want to work together, uh, and the big summits and negotiations, they should raise these questions of education. I know that the biggest issues that we're talking about and discussing on these events are mostly A, a defense thing, B, big multi-billionaire program of help today, how to sell Ukrainian country today. These multi-billion dollar program will be absolutely useless if we won't talk about these long strategic things. You'll need more and more billions in 5, 10, 20 years more if we don't start doing this. These programs are much cheaper. These programs are much more effective. So I, I don't know if we have the guys from the Hill here or the guys from uh, close to White House. I don't have that access. But I want to say you just really try to focus on this educational thing. Take bunch of our guys, take thousand of bright students, pay the stipends for them, provide them a, a, like a possibility to study here, to know the things, bring prominent professors and prominent scholars to Ukraine. Let's do this reciprocal process, process of you know of uh, um, of mutual collaboration, and that will bring new things into notion and, and the, this process of changing mindset and a lacking of uh, and, and uh, uh, emerging of new political will, you will occur, recur, you will see that. And once again, I say that education and this, I call it a sort of educational martial plan for Ukraine. That's what we need now and today. That's won't gonna work today or tomorrow. It will work day after tomorrow. But without this Marshall Plan, educational plan for Ukraine, we won't be able to change the things. And we need your help. Uh, Mr. President, we need you to help us to change this thing. Mr. President, I was talking about the wall. Tear down this wall. Today, today is the anniversary uh, of the wall coming down, actually. So I think, but I mean, if I just challenge you on the education, I mean, I'm looking at the audience and I see some faces that I recognize um, that have excellent education. 
uh, abroad. Um, they've come back to Ukraine, and they're not being utilized. Why? How many of them we'd have? Well, I look Pavlo Sheremeta. How, uh, how many? I see Natalia Popovich. I see many. Sort of. Uh, I, I think you know we, we are looking at thousands probably. Yes. Um, Before so we'll, we have we'll, thousands, things not going to change. And I'm not talking about know-how, like you know, to do how the Wall Street is going on, to do uh, like to know how the Wall Street is going on, to know how you know uh, law things, economic things, or financial things. I'm talking about mindset. That's much more fundamentally important. How to love your country, how to stand for it, not only on my dance, but every day for, for uh, 12, 12 uh, hours in, the, in your office work, every day, every moment, to, you know, to, uh, like, to stand by all these things and to defend them. Because to fight for your independence and for your values, it's not only, although that's its very important part, not only to stand in Maidan and not only to be willing to fight on the real front, but also to work and implement this work day by day. Ukrainians lack of confidence, they lack of, uh, uh, also of patience, they lack of, you know, of mutual trust, and these guys, if we'll have thousands of them, they will come back and they will change the country. These new people will change the country, not the politicians today. Although I think the politicians today, the best job they can do, it's to make that happen, what I say. If they do that, in 20, 20 years, you'll, come, you'll have the best uh, developing and the most fastly developing country in Europe and probably in the world. Because Ukraine has di different significant opportunities. We have the best bank of, uh, you know, better than me, of black earth, of this soil. It's probably the richest soil in the world. We have these IT possibilities. We have a lot of people willing to participate and commit them to Ukraine, but it's still not enough to have the critical mass. All our civil society, which is 10 to percent people of population in every country, needs to be ready. We're still not ready. That's why I think, while we're talking about corruption and thing about things should be done today, which is very important, and I don't underestimate undermine that, but still, we need to talk strategically. Nobody so far is talking about that. We're trying to extinguish fire, that's good, but we need to start to think what to do, not to have the other fire day tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. Instead of repairing a wooden roof all the time, let's start thinking about bringing a new one, which will be metal or, or like you know, stone one. Okay, so, so what is the tipping point? I don't know for in, the, in the case of, of numbers, but you know, many countries went through that. India went through that. Singapore went through that. Israel went through that. Many other countries which didn't exist even before. Well, I mean, now are they prosperous and big, and you don't necessarily need to start from Magna Carta, you know? Some, some, some countries did it in 20, 30, 40 years. We won't, we won't wait for 40 years, okay, probably we can do it today quicker, 20 years. But we can't do it in a month. But we need to do something in order to achieve some things in 20 years. Because every day of not doing in a month uh, will you know, make these things less and less uh, likely to happen. So once again, education is something that we need to focus on very seriously. Not theoretically, not just think, a good thing to talk about, not just good words, but practical steps 
Take bright students, we have a lot of them. Bring them not only to Harvard, to Yale, or Stanford. Bring them to average universities, but give them a new mindset. They need to know how the world lives. They don't know. They live under this wall. They, that's, that's why, uh, or uh, in this, within this wall. That's why I say, tear down this wall. Yes, I, I, I cite the famous quote of Reagan, but I mean different things now. But it's still the, this wall is still there. So, I mean, we need to talk about that. And that's part of, uh, of uh, things about corruption as well. Uh, Anna Deliviamko, if I can bring you into this. Um, the, the European Business Association has always been doing a great job in terms of getting the voice of business uh, across to governments and uh, pressuring the governments. What do you still, still think needs to be done to pressure this government to actually implement these reforms? Thank you, Andy. Uh, I represent really a family of 900 businesses operating in Ukraine. And I would like to agree with Slavko regarding the fact that we need to be educated, but also I would team up this with the visa-free regime. Because nowadays, of course, not every Ukrainian can actually travel, and this also stops them from actually learning more about abroad, how the situation abroad looks like. But I would like to start from thanking Atlantic Council for the organization of this wonderful event. And I'm very glad to see it. this is distinguished panel. And I think actually to talk about corruption, about recipes for that, it's really probably opportune and very timely process. But when I first came to, Ukraine, uh, to the US, I was really found for myself what kind of freedom it gives to the business people, what kind of freedom it gives to those ones who would like to utilize their creative potential. And I thought, wow, not so many actually regulations, not so many stupid things uh, which are available here, not so much of corruption. And that is why we see lots of potential which has been released from the minds of people. It is obviously not the case for Ukraine so far. We are still coping with corruption. We are still having no rule of law. But at the same time, I would like to say that Ukraine is a young country. We are just 25 years old. And of course, we are all impatient as Ukrainians and as actually foreign partners. But at the same time, I think that Ukraine is changing. Because running the EBA, European Business Association, for more than 15 years, I see that change. I see that business community changes. I see the voice of business is being changing. And it's been strengthening inside of the country and it's impacting the situation in Ukraine. So I believe we are in the start of transformations. Because society has changed. And we see this shift in society which will bring us to the better future. We are just at the beginning. And of course, it could be better if current politicians will understand that the demand for fight with corruption is huge. And the demand for zero tolerance to corruption and introduction of the rule of law is in the country. Society really wants that. But if they would not understand that and realize that, they will be just swept away, and that's it. Because society will not be stopped, it will go further. Because nowadays, this is a big gap between old Ukraine and new Ukraine, right? And this is probably not that visible, but it is not visible because quite often governmental officials, they are still in the old Ukraine. Their style of doing business, of running the country, is still in old Ukraine. Although you see the demand for the new Ukraine operations being in place. Uh, I should say that actually a number of new faces have, have, have come to the government. And we see those positive changes and shifts in the government. We see nice ministers who are doing pretty good job. And they are making reforms which are really bringing positive shift in the society. 
Igor just mentioned that actually he can't actually get license for the ready-made construction. But I should say that business should, say, should have a say about that. Business should stand forward and say that something is wrong and say about individual cases of concern. I will give you an example. Just two weeks ago, we had a problem from one of the company who couldn't make it the same which you actually displayed. But at the same time, when you knock the door of the government, you can change. Of course, it's individual things, but in case you try to knock the door every day, and many times the wall will be broken. Maybe not this year, as I said, maybe not next year, but I think five, ten years perspective, Ukraine will be different. I think that U.S. are doing a pretty wonderful job in terms of saying out what needs to be done in the country. Ambassador of U.S. is hammering all the time what needs to be done when it comes to corruption, when it comes to judiciary system change. And I think we would really hardly want something more from the U.S. community and from the U.S. government. I think the genuine change some should come from Ukrainians themselves. And Ukrainian leadership, Ukrainian society should want to change from itself and by itself. And then, of course, foreign support, stakeholder support would be very important and will help us to develop like it helped in Israel, like in, it helped in Singapore, like in South Korea, etc., etc. So I think we will, like, years make a difference. And in certain time, we will probably see absolutely new Ukraine. And I hope it will be better. Uh, thank you, Anna. I think, you know, there is uh, one of the um, uh, the questions we had in our survey was about um, exactly uh, looking for the future, the next 12 months. And uh, the question was, um, are you optimistic that there will be um, the battle against corruption will be positive or, you know, will, will there be sort of reforms coming on also? And it was close. It was 51% uh, was saying yes, 49% saying no. So there is a little sense of, of optimism that, that things will, will change. But I think in terms of the 25 years that have gone by, um, many would say you know, there have been so many wasted opportunities. Uh, how can we make sure that the, we don't have these wasted opportunities again? I think that, uh, of course, uh, it is a very difficult question. And uh, with the current leadership of the country, with the current political setup, it's very difficult to expect that we would have all the opportunities realized. Because I don't see personally fundamental change yet in place when it comes to the public administration management. So governance uh, inside the country has not yet changed. So we see some personalities, but we don't yet see the system which has been changed so far. How don't we miss those opportunities? I think that we should be committed to change in, in this country. I think you are making a wonderful job as American Chamber of Commerce representing business. We are making some job in order to represent also business community sentiments and proposals to the government. I think all of us who are sitting on this panel, and not only on this panel, are doing a wonderful job. I see Natalka Popovich, which is always sitting there. She is actually delegating her time and donating her time to, on a full-time basis uh, to the presidential administration job in order to actually to make something differently in the country. So I see many people who are committed already, and probably the number of those people will come even bigger in a certain period of time. We just need to be a little bit patient. I'm impatient myself, and frankly speaking, I do want to see change right away. But actually, uh, thinking also, I understand that 25 years, it's, not, it's, it's a time from the, uh, from the life perspective. But when it comes to the historical perspective, it's almost nothing. And 
and also we as managers. Sometimes we are bringing the company forward or changing it or transforming it minimum for two, three years in order to convert it into success. We are speaking about the whole country. It's a different, a different mode, different process. But how to miss, I think that American people, American businessmen should probably uh, have a risk and come to the country. Ukraine is really beautiful. It's very, by the way, cost-worthy nowadays with devaluation which took place actually two, uh, one year ago. Uh, to put a production in the country like Ukraine, it's almost peanuts. Yes, there are risks, but nevertheless, at the same time, it's really attractive to make business over there, to make production over there. And you will really enjoy being in the country. But at the same time, of course, Ukraine should, should make its own homework and not forget that it should be very important. Okay. I think, um, yeah, I mean, sorry. In terms of um, Secretary Pritzker, Penny Pritzker was in Kiev uh, two weeks ago. And one of the, the, the phrases that was coined was this um, clay level. Um, in in um, oil and gas, um, when you hit a clay level, that, that, that's when you have a problem when you're sort of looking for oil. Um, and what we see and in Ukraine now, we have a good level of ministers, uh, the likes of the, the, yesterday they were in business, today they've made this BTG shift, they've come from business. Many of the deputy ministers are very good and they, they are Western educated, uh, they have, they're there for the right reasons, they don't have corruption and uh, personal gain as their key objective. But then the, the lower you go down, you have this level of thousands of civil servants, many of whom are making $100, $150 a month, and they don't want to change. So you have this clash of the old and new. How do you overcome that clash? I already probably explicitly explained you what I ask I'm, I'm to, to do. First of all, uh, I wouldn't be... But like, the question is, with the thousands of these yeah. old civil servants, what do you do with them? Yeah, I understand. I understand your question. Actually... Uh, what a thing that you're partly right, but some of these new, let's say new people, are sometimes a sort of a scapegoats. You know, they not always are people who are really, you know, it's not this new kind of team which is going to do and change something. These are very good signs. I'm not pessimistic, I'm happy, but that's not the change we are talking about. Because when we, uh, what, we, what, what we see, it's some of our leaders desperately trying to pick up some new, new people and to put them into the team, to others people, for, for example, for partners in America, EU, to believe that something is being done. Actually, it's a good effort, but it's like a desperate attempt to do at least something. What I'm talking about is to changing the mindset of the whole elite, and it's not doing top-down, it's doing bottom-up, and it's not the president or the prime minister who's going to do that. It's people, ordinary people, civil society, going to gonna, uh, uh, elect new, new kind of leaders who are going to implement them after that. So it's egg and certainly egg and chicken question. So I think the best thing is to go both ways, bottom up and top down. One thing, why don't we have new leaders? Uh, look at this. I don't say that all of our leaders are bad or good. I know some of them and I appreciate a great job when, which some of them do for our country. And I still think that it's much better than it could be. And, uh, but having said that, I'll ask you a question. Why do you think we have the same faces for for last 20 years in Ukrainian politics. No matter are they on Maidan or were they against Maidan, were they in this party or that, but generally, I think many of you, specialists of Ukraine, have been known then for years. Where are the new people? I mean, where are the new people? Why do you see new people running from American 
presidential elections, many of them are new. I mean, like politician advisors and analysts knew them, but like people and people abroad especially didn't know them. So why do you have that? We don't have that. Mostly because our Ukrainian authorities do not want to give up their power. I mean, they want to keep it everything in in, the, in, in their hill, not Capitolium Hill, but the Pechersk Hill. They want everybody to come to them, to negotiate, to accept them in their elite club. Instead of that, we need to just give power to regions, to small cities, to communities, to give them opportunity to tax people, to, 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 to use these taxes. That will bring you not only like a good government in regions, but also a competition. You'll have competitions of different regions. You'll come, you'll find new people, new CEOs, uh, new executives in, sta in statecraft who will then form this competition and you'll have a big bench of substitute. You'll have a big social and political ladder. We don't have it now. Uh, the question, are they eager to do that? We're trying to see some decentralization now. I hope it's gonna be better. It takes a while. We still, as Anna say, we have keep patience. We'll see what will happen. But once again, I want to say that it's, Rome wasn't built in a day. Ukraine won't be built in a day. But we need before, if, if we see Ukraine as a sort of a patient who faces some kind of disease, you need to come very close to the, the very first basic diagnosis. Not only giving painkillers, which is, for example, like, you know, big money from IMF or some aid from American government, but it's painkillers. We need to come back and to cure the, the whole idea. But before that, we need to know what's happening. From my point of view, we need to bring up new thousands and thousands of people, not only who will love their country, but who will have the right perception how the things are being, uh, should, should, should be done. But I'm once again optimistic. I think that all of us guys sitting here and many others, many of us, probably already in the government, much more not there, unfortunately. We are like sort of coming closer, and we really need American help in that. Okay, Anna? Uh, I just wanted to, to step in on that, because I think that actually governance and uh, removing this clay or making it more modern, this clay level, comes from the leadership, because leadership makes a change. And if currently we see, if we, if we see that the leader has double agenda, then obviously you have a question. If you see that leader is committed and he is 100% devoted to make success in the country, I think he will be starting a change in the governance system because you can't expect uncorrupt practices and uncorrupt behavior from the official who is getting $150 per month. This is first. And uh, I am sure that many people were offered, uh, who are sitting in the, ta in the panel probably elsewhere as well in, in, the, um, in Ukrainian society, who were offered to go to the government. And frankly speaking, why I denied, for example, that offer? Because I don't want to get $150 per annum and then actually look for some corrupt ways of, uh, of uh, yeah. a month. This is almost nothing. So that is why you either pay honestly to people and invite them to the government, officially paying from the state budget, or you forget about actually thousands of people May there. May I ask a question to Anna? Yes. Uh, what is a labor productivity in Ukraine? Is it high? No. So how do we want to get high salaries having low productivity? But stop stealing. This is first. <laughs> but how you can how you can pay that bigger money if people have lower productivity? But Once stop again, stealing. Stop stealing. Yeah. Once again, education. 
come and do it better, know how to do the Ivar, things. Ivar, you too, I understand you, you uh, offered that position very, very in well. government. So uh, very well, actually, I understand that. And I remember, actually, when I was in Vanderbilt Business School, like, uh, 15 years ago, and there was a professor on... Uh, uh, motivation uh, was a course on motivation, and then the there is so-called concept of rational uh, actor paradigm, uh, which is uh, working actually for 99% of people. The, and um, uh, how you do that, like in Ukraine, and that's we discussed with Timur there with his team. He did actually lots of reforms in uh, Georgia uh, as well. And uh, how you deal with that? So very, very simple. You first of all you do an estimation and analysis how much how many people how much people make existently, including corrupted, uncorrupted ways. Because this is, again, this is a cost which is there already. This is not something new. So the uh, person who is making 2,000 grivnas and unofficial, unofficially making like 30,000 grivnas or 40,000 grivnas, it exists. So you just do first a scope of analysis. How many, well, spoke actually, I will not tell actually the name of the person who did the uh, reform of uh, prosecution in Georgia. And uh, they did very simple. They asked how many actually the prosecutor offices on regional level make. And they offered them actually 30% more in official salary, but with the right uh, attitude and motivation, with the cut in personnel, uh, with the um, optimization on functions. So in fact, you have to pay the person at least how much they are making in corrupt, in uncorrupt ways, because this is already the cost in the economy. That is the way of structuring, the right way of structuring. Those costs are there. And then you look how do you increase this cost. Uh, again, then I'm coming to the business motivation. How you decrease the cost for business in order to stimulate the next steps, uh, capital expenditures. Because in this system which you have now, if you do like the first step, the you, you will have a clean uh, economy, but you will not have development because the cost of running is still high. And then you think how you decrease the cost of running the economy. There is also one very simple concept of cornerstone change. And we see actually on uh, the example of uh, police, which has started as a good example. I'm very cautious about that because what I hear right now about the next changes, I think this uh, example can be under threat. So it has to be very carefully watched. But so far, it's been one of the most positive examples in, in the country. But Cornerstone change means that you don't need to change everything at one time, and you need to change one thing, and then there is a likelihood that the other things will follow. So, so if you're fighting corruption, you actually have to create the right cost of uh, uh, corruption. The cost of corruption should be higher than cost of actually uh, doing business legally, and that's a very simple concept. So in fact, you're fighting corruption, you need an army. And the army, you need to enlist uh, someone. And you need to enlist businesses who would actually uh, be willing to do that. And it's very simple there. You don't, don't try to change everything at one time, uh, but just try to change one thing at a time. So uh, there are many examples across the world, like including with Lee Kuan Yew in Singapore. He didn't try to change everything, but he uh, education, that was his thing, actually, and that's one of the uh, elements which uh, I, I, I met him, actually, in 90s uh, as well, and, uh, uh, yeah, uh, he was obsessed with that, exactly, and, uh, but he was always changing, uh, uh, like, the, the concept, and okay, okay, well, not to be speaking point. about Singapore, but uh, th this is very straightforward uh, approach, so uh, the alignment of uh, costs should be there, and once the alignment of cost is there, uh, it's easy to change. Like uh, one example with which I'm very cautious right now is with this, for example, this tax reform which is there. So 
uh, it's, uh, I think what, what currently, with IMF support uh, as well, unfortunately, uh, uh, they, they want to do in Ukraine will be just uh, another prolongation of corruption for many years to come. Because they don't, do not offer any positive incentive to the business because there is a threat of losing actually the uh, budget revenues. But uh, yeah. Well, on that point, I mean, um, there was the excellent article this morning by Anders Asland on, on this topic. Um, the issue is that 70% of business don't pay taxes. They're, the tax avoidance is, is um, ubiquitous and it's all over. And it's only the, if we take the list of our 100 biggest taxpayers in Ukraine today, these are the big foreign investors. Um, you know, 90% are members of the EBA and of the American Chamber of Commerce. And these are the people paying their taxes. So in terms of the reform that's being proposed now, the one by the Ministry of Finance, the one uh, by um, the Parliamentary Committee, um, and the whole issue now around the IMF, whether or not um, it, it will stay. But Steve, I mean, in terms of what do you do? How do you get these people to pay their taxes? Well, there's a few things that we have to do right now. And we talk about education and Slava, this is a fabulous idea, it has to be done, but that will take years. We have to start now, but the full effects of what you propose will take years. We have a fairly pressing situation in the country right now, which requires many things to be done right now. And if your GDP dropped 15% last year and is dropping 11% this year, and the recovery, um, which is expected for next year, is a feeble 2 to 2.5%, two it clearly calls for action right now. Um, so one of the things that was just mentioned is what to do about bloated, uh, bloated bureaucracies and the fact that many people are being paid very little. Well, the issue is, is it's called lustration. And the government has started the act of lustration this year. Over 70,000 public officials have been um, relieved of their responsibility, but this job has only started. There's a lot more to do. And it's often cited that we have these great ministers in the cabinet who um, come from very different backgrounds, and a lot of them are foreigners, no less. But when it comes to the, the people in the ministries, how much can get done? So there's bloated ministries with the wrong kind of talent. So lustration will clean that up, will bring in a new... Um, cadre of officials who are paid better, who are more talented, so you can do more with less people. So this is one of the things that needs to be done now. Um, there are, are other things, of course, that the government has done. The anti-corruption, the National Anti-Corruption Bureau has been established. Over 70 detectives have been hired and trained, and that is one concrete action that the government has taken in the last 12 months to start going after corruption. A de-oligarchization, for example, is another uh, major initiative the government has undertaken, and that clears up a lot of the, um, the crimes and the misuses of the previous administrations with regards to the gas and the energy area. They've reformed NAFTA gas. They've reformed the management and governance of Ukrotrans NAFTA as well. Um, they have changed um, regulations on transparency of procurement. Uh, public procurement in the country, for example. So these things have been done already, but they're just started and they're not taking full effect yet. Uh, well, I think that, that that's part of the, the three Ps uh, on corruption. It's the um, uh, prevent, publicize, mm -hmm. and punish. In terms of prevention, we are seeing a little bit being done. There is uh, some steps that are being taken forward. In terms of publicizing, the, the naming and shaming, I think that that's the role of civil society and the free press. And I think, you know, Ukraine now has some very good 
independent journalists that are really going out. I mean, some of the stuff you, you read probably even this morning, uh, sort of naming and shaming these corrupt officials. But the third P, which we're not seeing any action on, is the punish. That requires government. Mm -hmm. That requires political will. And that requires civil society to be engaged. And we have to be looking not only at saying civil society needs to be more engaged and education is important. We have to envision more mechanisms where civil society is more active. For example, on courts and the prosecutor general's office, is civil society projecting, for example, a, a scorecard or some sort of interaction on a regular basis for, for society to give comments and feedback on how the government is working? If, as I just cited in the beginning of today's panel, that only 5% of Ukrainians feel that judges are doing their job, well, clearly, civil society needs to be more engaged and needs to be presenting these scorecards. We need more investigative journalism as well to discover and to punish and to shame these, these acts of corruption. But you also raised the question regarding how to make businesses to pay taxes. And the point is that in our surveys, which we are making amongst our members, actually the most corrupt body is state fiscal service, or so the service which actually receives revenues. And first, in order to pay taxes, you need to reinstate trust so that everyone understands that every, everybody is treated equally. This is first. And this, this punishment is inevitable, just in case you are breaking the rule of law. And third, of course, Igor, uh, Igor is correct when it comes to the attractive conditions for paying taxes. So it should be really convenient to pay taxes because nowadays we have normal rates. They are okay, so they are not that actually drastic in terms of uh, rate numbers. Enforcement of the system is, is really bad. So legislation is not enforced in, in the taxation level as well. So I think this should be corrected, and this could be corrected relatively very quickly. Well, that the companies pay taxes there because you also have salary taxes. Mm -hmm. there. And, every, and this is one actually of the thing which probably one thing that has to be changed in the current tax system Absolutely. is to make sure that the uh, will be the right, the, um, uh, the shadowing of the paying sa salary there. Okay. And this, I believe, can be done only by uh, the alignment of the cost of, um, uh, how, do you call it, how do you call it, like, uh, the um, uh, pay, uh, well, uh, putting uh, uh, money into the cash and actually paying in cash there because there is cost as well into that. Oh. And the right uh, tax rate. Currently, Ukraine has huge tax rates, about 50% on the salary there. This is not sustainable. And some examples saying that this is some northern countries in the Europe have that they have completely different system. I think that Ukraine should uh, go... Uh, this is one thing that has to be changed. I would leave all taxes other unchanged, but I would try to make sure that in the next year we do complete legalization of payments. This will have huge effect on fighting corruption because payments in the cell in, in, in the envelopes there means that you have to get the cash. So you have to get actually all the uh, mechanisms there, which currently is there, which uh, involves like uh, different police, uh, the uh, prosecution office, courts, and everything. That's the businesses, what they're paying in cash, they're not getting um, this cash out of the air, and they do not get it out of the bank. Yeah. Uh, they get it, actually, National Bank of Ukraine also is very important in monitoring. They all know that. They are 
well, money laundering uh, well, exercises I, I the, have to be introduced. No, no, I'm not talking about banking system. I'm saying actually that all cash, uh, National Bank of Ukraine is aware who actually pays what. Uh, and this is true now as well. Uh, so it's uh, just I think, the way you know, we, we have uh, our members that are both uh, MasterCard yeah. and Visa. And uh, when we ask who's your big, biggest competitor, they say the cash. Because yes, yes. cash is still a very cash society. So. Absolutely there. So that's why I'm, I'm, I'm very simple there. Fighting like the salaries, well, not fighting actually, making, motivating businesses to pay officially will have a tremendous e e impact across the system because there will be no demand for corruption for many elements there. Yeah. And that would actually okay. reduce Slava, it. Uh, do you want to jump in? Okay, I, w I would to jump in. Like Before that, I wanted to follow up with some ideas. But I just have a question. Who is going to do that? Ministry of Finance actually offered the reduction of social uh, social salary so taxes. So why is it, do is it they not they being done? They need to, they are not supported in the uh, parliament so far. Well, I mean, this the, this, the, this the, is the <laughs> actually I has mean, a good uh, point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's Aslan's excellent Lenny article. I mean, I mean, there's two. Uh, there's the, the 2020 2020, and there's the 15 15 10 uh, from uh, Nina Yuzhina. Mm -hmm. So I think. But um, I, I, I'm saying, okay. Yeah, I just I want to follow up. It was a rhetorical yeah. question. We all know why. And once again, it's not that easy. But I want to follow up you guys with both uh, the great comments from you. I want to say that uh, coming back to prosecutors, officers, and judicial system, what you said about idea of link when you to picking, picking what, one thing only and doing it. So, okay, police reform is a very encouraging, like, you know, result. And... Firstly, I was a sort of skeptical. I was pessimistic. Now I think that's a good way to do. So what you should do is just take one field and to change it, but not gradually, not little by little, but in yeah. one day. How can you do it? Like with, with police, it's easier because you have like f half, half a year of, of, of training and then you pick up these new people and then you change you pay them. them more. Yeah, you pay them more, but you do it in one day. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. How about... How do, why don't you do that? The same thing with judicial system. Well, there is a plan. Yeah, I mean, but they don't. They, there's a, there's a the plan. plan. Yeah. The, yeah. the Rada has been asked to change the constitution in order to eliminate the power of the presidential administration, the Rada, and the cabinet ministers to appoint and control the courts and the prosecutor general office. One thing that's very, very important is to bring transparency and independence to the entire judicial system in the country, which is totally flawed like that. Yeah, right? but I, yeah. Yeah, I even want to say, I even want to go further. So why don't you repeat the same thing with police? Just take young graduate students with lower background, by, but educated once again, and probably knowing how things are being done in the West and being like really committed to do something in the country, in one night replace everybody, just one night. These guys will be, these guys, no, 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 no. I'm, I, I understand that you're laughing. I, I'm not a naive guy. I understand what I'm talking I about. Well. Yeah, I, I think that's some, <laughs> something that's going to work because these guys are inexperienced. They will make a lot of mistakes, that's for sure. They will make a lot of damage, but still, this damage will be uncomparably less of what damage of these highly corrupted and knowing how guys that are already incremented in the system. And you can't do it little by little. You can't change two judges or 
free judges in the community because they are going to be corrupted in one year. You need to change everybody. How you can do that? You can't do it in the courses of three month education for policemen. You need to have all these guys educated, I don't know, at yellow school, somewhere else, somewhere else. You need to have serious, serious system for doing that and then overnight change it. Where do you go find these yeah. guys? Well, you need okay. the people. I would like to sort of open up to um, to Q and A now. But before I do that, I mean, I'm standing in because Christia Freeland couldn't make it, but she is one of the best moderators, one of the best journalists. And one question which I guess she would ask today at this panel, Slava, to you personally. Um, you're at Yale until December. This World Fellow Scholarship. What next for you? Uh, yeah, I understand what you're talking about. Uh, First of all, I don't believe, I really don't believe that changes can uh, take place, occur, because of will or like, you know, big energy of one single person. I don't believe in that. I'm a Democrat, I'm a Western guy on this. I think only bunch of people, society, magnificent seven and better, better 70 or 700, all, you know, fathers, founders, name it, you know? Only that kind of approach can change the country like Ukraine. So if you like me, what I, I, am I going to do something? Yes, I am. My main mission is to get this idea of changing the civil society and making young people to change their mindset and framework to be happen. That's my main goal. If I can, if I will be successful here, if I'm succeed, successful here, that probably from this bunch of new people will find somebody to take care of the country. I think my role is modest role. We'll see what happens. Nowadays, I see just, I am focused on that. I don't want to go for execution in the place with wrong values. I want to change values before going somewhere. It will be just impossible to do something. So I, I only don't ask myself, but ask all of the guys in this panel, only in this room, all who are watching us, do a little bit by yourself. Don't look at Slava, at Andri, at somebody else, at somebody else. It's good to have a Messiah in a, in, in a Bible, and it's a great thing. Let's, let's, let's keep Messiah in a Bible. Let's have a normal stuff in the world. We need to have a new society coming. And I see my role to be one of these, you know, if you want inspirational leaders or people who who going to encourage these youngsters to come and to change the stuff. That's what I see my okay. role. Well, we, we look forward uh, to January having you back in Ukraine and uh, working together. So Thank I you. Think, I think. So um, I would like to open up the floor now to Q&A. There, there are two microphones I understand in the room. So if you could just introduce yourself um, and the Sussland, please. Anders Åslund, uh, Atlantic Council. Uh, thank you very much. Great to see, see you all here. Uh, a few comments. Uh, uh, when you are fighting corruption, you have to see what are, do you have and what are you missing. And uh, Tislava, I would say, what Ukraine today has is tens of thousands of well-educated uh, young people who are ready to take the jobs. The question is if they can be paid. This is one of the bottlenecks, as has been well mentioned here, and that they don't emigrate. You can see Iran, after Khomeini took over, millions left the country. It's not a guarantee that you get reform because Ukraine now has massive immigration. What is really done, I think Andy and Steve mentioned it most strongly, lustration. Ukraine adopted a good law on lustration on the 16th of September last year. 
It has not been implemented. Why? Because the politicians are against it, the prosecutors are against it, the judges are against it, the international community is against it, and people generally don't understand. So we see the uh, three countries that have really cleaned up the judicial system, East Germany, Estonia, and Georgia. They did what you two here suggest, clean them all out from top down. You have only 80,000 prosecutors and could do with less than half of it. And 10,000 judges, one third would be enough. Kick them out. And you have young people who can take the job with a certain guidance of uh, foreigners and probably a few of uh, the old ones are not completely corrupt, belong to the 5% who uh, are not corrupted. So this is the key issue to, uh, to do today. And I think that one should focus on this pay people and sack the truly corrupt people in the, in the prosecutor's office and the, in the court. Thank you. May, um, may I comment sure, on that? Sure. I think I completely agree with you with one only objection that by education I don't mean know-how. I mean like know-how, we have a lot of people who know how. I mean a different perception of life. You know what's the difference when you come to American immigration officer uh, in, the, in the border and the different and, and compare them to Ukrainian immigration officer in the border. Uh, you never find unconfident immigration officer in American border. They always seem very focused, very confident and sure for every inch of their work they're doing. They, their voice is clear, they know their rights, they know what is wrong, what is right. This, they, they seem very confident. When you come to the country, you always see from the very beginning, crossing the border, that this is the country of confident people who are gonna fight for themselves, who know how to defend their rights, who uh, no matter being expertised or not in some things, they know that they can challenge the system, change the government, challenge the government, challenge everything. That is a different mindset. Ukrainians mostly do not possess this mindset. But having educated people, I mean this, not just to know how equations are being solved. We had over 200 years. Yeah. Um, you had to count 200 years. That's why I say we need to to keep patience a little bit. I don't think we need 200 years because after yours guy, you guys, many countries already followed you and some did it much quicker. I don't think we need to, we will have two years, but probably 20, 30 years, it should be fine. Yeah, but I still completely agree with others that you said that you need to do implementation of some changes quickly today. But uh, what I'm trying to say probably, it's not, America won't, or England, or Singapore, or Germany won't teach you how to solve problems, equations. But probably you need a little bit of that, I would say, Western perception of life, which Ukraine was deprived of because of historical reasons and because of you know, geopolitical reasons. We were still, once again, I'll repeat, we, have, we are on this wall, cultural uh, like, you know, mindset wall. We need to tear down this wall. If, if, okay, if Anna, I can jump add, in. Andy, if I can add actually uh, what uh, I was saying that uh, the, uh, there, are, there are many actually really people there. So I also studied long time ago in the United States. There are hundreds, thousands, ten thousands probably of those. Uh, why, what is important to keep them actually in Ukraine and to contribute the right way? Two things. First of all, they need to actually have, maybe it's very trivial, but they need to have a beacon of light and hope that because they are young, 
professionals, if they don't see actually the future, Correct. they will try to find a better future elsewhere. So we are not living in Soviet uh, times when there is a wall there. So the, the world is open, actually. And uh, that's what we see uh, the by movement of young Ukrainian professionals. They will not come to Ukraine for a long period of time. There can be actually some surges, uh, like the uh, motivation, like for a short period of time after the Maidan or something. Uh, uh, but they will not come unless they can actually make a comparable uh, payment, well, salary, the, the opportunity actually cost for them. So they first. First of all, they have to be offered hope. They need to know why they're working. They need to know where they're going. They need to know what they will get in the end, like the transparent system, money, uh, good life. No, no, I, I, not only. That's what I said. Like They need to actually uh, say, uh, understand that they will have uh, their values respected, that they young individuals normally until, and I mean people until 30, actually, they normally are very uh, idealistic, actually. Sure, and uh, sure. that's why it's the I, best, I, I actually, material to build the state. Uh, and th that's what have to be done. So this is one thing, actually, that has to be there. And uh, the um, uh, second is actually the uh, right uh, set of objectives. And here is more difficult there, because it's a combination of the bottom-up and top-down approach there. Without the right set of objectives, young people uh, will become demotivated at some period of time. They will see that the values that they are preached by the, uh, let's say, management is not right values there, or they are not actually uh, respected. So the object objective should be also uh, there. So and here we have also another good example in, in Odessa region with Saakashvili, who is trying to build with a young team by providing the right objectives there. He lacks actually the funds. He lacks the money to pay to those individuals. So that's a big problem. It will be like for six, seven months, this will be a huge problem. Mm -hmm. uh, there, because so far they're working actually on their enthusiasm, motivation, all those like uh, local administration, like th those, those positions which are not interesting for a normal person because they don't pay anything. So they, they attracted quite the good personnel. I'm just there. conscious of yeah. time, so we have a number of questions. Sorry. But, uh, Anna, I'm if you just, just want to be quickly. On the first question of, us, uh, of Anders uh, regarding what do we have, what we don't have to fight corruption, I think what we have as a business community, and I'm as a leader of the community, I think that we have the whole freedom to fight for corruption. I think that we have the full opportunity to say Absolutely. what's wrong, Absolutely. what's what's not wrong. And we are going forward through media, we are going directly to the government, and it's not stopped, it's okay. And it's always a choice whether to be corrupt and not corrupt. And basically, uh, uh, we handle our business as absolutely non-corrupt business, and it's possible to be successful. When it comes to what don't we have, we don't have yet, unfortunately political, uh, political uh, will from the leaders of the country to, be, uh, to put those ones who are guilty into jail, actually to make justice inside the society. As soon as uh, this can be seen by the society, by, by young people, young people would not leave probably in major cases, because nowadays they, they have a choice, either to go to some smarter places and to, to realize their potential, or to stay in Ukraine and fight. Actually, majority of people probably would like to stay and fight, but some would leave, obviously. Yeah. Please, gentlemen, in. we have many questions. So what we'll do, I think what we'll take maybe, um, let's take this question and after this, we'll take maybe two or three questions at once so, so we can uh, get everyone's uh, opportunity to ask a question. John Kunstadter, Radzima Photo. Uh, let me turn it around a bit and, and propose that one way in which Ukraine has remained, not become, but remained more European than Western Europe, 
is the role that faith plays. And I have in mind uh, Greek Catholic, Roman Catholic, the three Orthodox churches, the Protestant churches. Couldn't you work with the churches, not only the top hierarchy, but the parishes? I mean, there's a beautiful network throughout Ukraine to get your message uh, across. After all, uh, what is more uh, central to Christ's message than, than his throwing the money changers out of the temple? Thank you. Question. Well, who who would you like to, to answer? It's, it's back to civil society. Frankly speaking, we have not yet used churches to, to, like, to, to, to put across our message, frankly speaking. Maybe we underestimated their role. Probably we should think about them, actually, to make this um, message be heard better. But it looks like, actually, churches, uh, they, are uh, they are believed by the society in Ukraine much more than they believe politicians. Probably it's part of the values which could be used. But uh, obviously... We should work on that probably a little bit more. We yeah. as business community. Slava. Slava. That's a very good and once very sophisticated question. Uh, probably I'll confess I won't be ready to speak on records very uh, transparently on that. I have many thoughts probably I would keep with me. But generally I will say that we have a lot of young uh, church leaders, religious leaders, I know some of them, who are already different, as the society as well. They are changing the, uh, the, like the, the church, little by little, is being cha changed itself as well. So I'm, I would be you know, cautiously optimistic on that. And we are doing that, and we'll keep continuing doing that. But you know, it's so many historical once again, geopolitical and many other issues that go back to some, some to 10th century that should be, you know, like th rethinked, rethought, sorry, and like, you know, repositioned. And we, we do that a little by little. That's a good question, and thank you for that. We certainly need to remember the church, not as a religion, but as an institution, is a very, very uh, important, influential messenger. Not only, not only in Ukraine, but in everywhere in the U.S., in in Europe, in everywhere. We all we say that we're not religious. We we say that we are secular, but we all are dependent on these things. So thank yeah. you for putting that. I would just add uh, on a, on a very personal note. Um, I studied in a seminary for ten years in Rome. So um, I've been sort of very much also monitoring the role of the church in Ukraine. And um, if we take the institutions that have the highest level of degree of trust today, the church is uh, number one, then it's the army, then it's the volunteers. So there is a lot of trust in the church. I think if we take the, um, there was a Novia Vremia magazine, who are the moral leaders in Ukraine? Uh, the, the top um, four, uh, there was Lyubomir uh, Huzar, uh, Miroslav Maranovich, Boris Gudziak, and Lina Kostenko. And three of these uh, four are church-related or related to either the, to, to the Ukrainian Catholic Church or the Ukrainian Catholic University. So I think um, some of the stuff that, that the, um, the, for example, the Ukrainian Catholic University is doing is very good. And I do agree in, um, in a secular society where we sometimes deliver these messages in London to the bankers, they don't understand. But I think in Ukraine that this could be uh, something very, very special. So, yeah. So, in terms of, we have uh, many questions. So what I suggest, if we can take three questions at once, uh, 
Um, and then if you can just, um, we'll, we'll write down the questions and then if you can just say who your question is to. So we'll take uh, one, two, three on this side and then we'll go come to this side. Dobroho večera. My name is Uliana Haras. I'm with Export Development Canada. Thank you very much for your remarks. And I, I wonder if we could pick up on some of the threads you've left behind, several of you around long-term measures, and in particular Svetoslav, and even the last comment. Um, can we think about a little bit more, and could you comment on uh, agents of socialization? Uh, in addition to the church, the fourth and fifth estate, uh, looking the ro at the role of uh, diaspora as well, as well as the Flexian cadre, some of whom are actually in the room, um, their role in advancing change in a way that helps to internationalize at home before we can send off masses of young people to experience a different way of living. Okay, so we'll take that. So uh, ne next one, please, and then here. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, my name is Vasile Rotaru. I'm visiting a researcher at Georgetown University. We are dealing, uh, my, questions, my question will be addressed to Mr. Fisher and Mr. Uh, Petrashko. Uh, we are dealing with two levels of corruption in Ukraine and in many other countries. We have small corruption at the level of civil servants and we have big corruption, the oligarchs. The problem with the oligarchs is that they are very influential. They have a great leverage on government. Some of them owing even unofficial private armies. So how do we deal with the oligarchs? I mean, even the president is an oligarch. That's the question, how we deal with this level of corruption. Okay, thank you. good, thank you. And uh, Thank you very much. I just wanted to respond to this discussion. My name is Oksana Shulyar. Um, I'm Columbia University educated, and I work for the Ukrainian government. I joined after the Revolution of Dignity. I worked at the presidential administration. And today, together with my colleague, I have an honor to uh, represent the embassy of Ukraine here in DC. So um, I also wanted to mention that uh, after the revolution of dignity, we launched, uh, together with other graduates of uh, Western universities, we launched a program um, called Professional Government, which uh, sort of provided opportunity for um, for Western educated to uh, work with the Ukrainian government. If I'm not mistaken, that we have right now um, over a hundred of people who joined at different levels. Um, we had, had heads of agencies, uh, heads of departments, and um, so across different agencies and across different levels. So, and I, I know what Western education is. It is um, specifically American education. It is the values, it is uh, ability to work hard, and it is ability to uh, look outside of the box. So uh, all of these uh, initiatives uh, sh should be reinforced and uh, of course, would be welcome. But on the other side, I wanted to ask Sviatoslav that um, you have a doctorate in physics and um, you know uh, that Ukraine still has a very good quality of fundamental science when we talk about math. Maybe you can give your personal <laughs> evaluation. Um, you, um, you are now in Yale and um, would you um, um, maybe Alongside your initiative to bring uh, Ukrainians to study in the U.S., maybe would you uh, also consider using and leveraging this um, access, uh, this experience, maybe to reinforce the um, innovation capacity in Ukrainian universities? Because the innovations are driving the economies today. And uh, maybe um, helping um, building bridges between 
universities to, to, to facilitate this innovational uh, boost. Um, I know that at the Embassy of Ukraine there are many um, now efforts um, really devoted to bridge the universities and help this in innovational boost. So, please, I would welcome your comments. Thank you. So, do you want to start with that? Yeah, yeah I, I can answer. First of all, thank you very much, and I'm happy that Colombia educated people are working for your Ukrainian embassy. So one thing, that you already do a lot of things to, to bring the best of American professors to Ukraine. Am I right? Uh, well, we are working on it. Yeah, so that's probably your job. And my commitment as a, as a like, uh, social activist, and I'll do the best to do it. Uh, if you listen very attentively to what I said, I didn't, also, I didn't only propose to bring Ukrainians to study in America, but also to bring best professors and scholars from America and other countries to come to Ukraine and to show the things and to mentor people. Uh, because you're right, the technologies is very important. But once again, I think Ukraine now, and we need to be very honest. I know that we like to sort of put like some positive perspective, and I'm one of these people, but we need to be very honest. Ukraine now is not on the possibility to compete on the frontier, technological frontier. We have very few countries there, like, like countries of level possessing, like countries who, who can possess things like Silicon Valley, who are really there. Everybody else is just trying to follow them up. And it's not bad. It's not one country is like bigger in technologies, other countries bigger in something else. You know, Scandinavia, it's a great place to live. It's one of the best uh, and probably one of the most developed countries in the world. They also follow up America. They don't have their own Silicon Valleys. You know, so it's not only like, just technology straightforward that will bring us like like uh, Ukrainian IT sector is probably number one in Eastern Europe in numbers. I mean, in a, in a, a number of people, and outsourcing is extremely well. So what is right that we have talented people, and we still are having this, I would say, Soviet-based past on you know rocket science, you know foundation. We still are in a good position. We somehow are. You know, losing losing these things slowly, by little by little. But we still are in a good position. But what we lack is not good specialists. We lack what you say values and the perception of life. Our people do not trust themselves. That was I was I starting to 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 implement from the very beginning. I that was I that was the thing I wanted to. To, to, to get you understand. It's not a question that we don't have good people or educated people or we need to, you know, what's happening? I'll give you one example. My example is the following. You are asking me for running offices or whatever. It was not your direct question, but I mean, just undercover, right? <laughs> yeah, I understand. Run, run, I understand. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm honest guy. I'm, I'm, I, like, I, like being, I like being very straightforward in, in these things. So. After the local elections, which we had now, many friends, or actually acquaintances of my local so, uh, social and political activists, started complaining me. And even before, a couple of days before, uh, we still have the same people on elections. Like, you know, like, no, the same people. What is needed to be done to change that? And their complaint is very serious because they say, first of all, people don't trust the government at all. So they just don't care. They don't go to elections. Secondly, probably one educated person like yourself 
just decides to go and run for some office. And you, you're confident, you're with education, but your peers and your friends don't trust you. Because they, they think, okay, uh, you know, like what this guy can do. So you need to have like, you know, three levels, three obstacles to overcome them. First, you need to overcome the distrust, the, the, the fence of distrust of your, to yourself. yourself. Then uh, you need to overcome this distrust of your friends and peers and countrymates. And, and then you, all, you need to distrust the level of political and so like, like political circles in society. So it's very difficult because we are different people. We are, we're shying, we're not confident, we're not taught in the school to, to question and to argue our, our, our teachers because teaching Ukraine contrary to America is always right, it's our perception. So that's what should be changed. And how can you change that without people who are educated in different systems? Because, you know, it's not that easy. It's fundamental things. And you can write a good, a hell of a lot, you know, points of how to fight corruption. But before coming fundamental things, it will be just, you know, going back and forth. Although we need to do all the things under a set as well. If I may, actually, I would like to use this opportunity and to address the issue to the embassy of Ukraine, <laughs> actually yeah. here, because send the message to the government of Ukraine that innovation likes freedom and business likes freedom. I mean, like, with the rule of law, but nevertheless, it is even approach to everybody. This is first. And the second, when if you'd, like, if you'd like to have innovation in place, we've talked to the people from, Singa, uh, from uh, Israel who are very professional in that. They said, focus and actually set up the priority. So the state should actually make it as priority and invest some money into innovation and into education as such, because these are the key sectors which should, which should be developed from the very beginning. Steve Fisher, uh, Vasil's question on oligarchs. What do you do with oligarchs? Yeah, that's a big question. Um, well, first of all, it's very hard to believe that 16 oligarchs own about 60% of the economy. That's the um, statistic that was given a few years ago. Perhaps that's changed a bit given the decline in the economy. It might be worse. But, but that is, that's a significant impediment to any kind of um, renovation of the economy. So what do you do about it? Um, first of all, it has to be a phased approach. The first thing you have to do is stop all the wrongs and the excesses that happened for the last 20 years. So what do I refer to? One is transparency. Um, a lot of business in, in some of these oligarchy change, chains was done based on intransparent um, government contracts, illegal contracts, sweetheart deals, kickbacks, lots of corruption on a lot of government-related business. Well, that has been stopped to a good extent, perhaps not completely, but just look at um, a few months ago, the RADA passed the law on, on natural gas, which eliminated all of the, the you know, incorrect practices that were done during the Yanukovych administration with the, with the um, transfer and purchase of gas. That was a very concrete action against the excesses of oligarchism. But what you have to do is transparency, elimination of all of these contracts, and then at least you stop the problem from perpetuating itself. Uh, now, how do you cut it out? That's not easy because hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people are employed by various enterprises run by oligarchs, and you can't throw these people on the street. Ivor Petrasko, is that one of you? I mean, is Mr. Bakhmachuk yeah, an I oligarch? Uh, you can. Yeah, that is a very good question, in fact. Yeah. And uh, it's very important, actually, to, uh, I, I think the, the word oligarch uh, is uh, very, 
loosely used sometimes. So um, if we are speaking about the uh, like deorganization of the country, uh, I think it's important to understand that uh, it should come uh, along with privatization. Why? Because uh, most uh, abuses are done actually on the government entities and uh, uh, I will not name names actually, they, they, they all know them, but uh, uh, relates actually to the electricity tariffs, to the gas actually, uh, transportation, to the gas distributions, to the uh, state-run enterprises there which are controlled one way or another, either by oligarchs or actually new uh, oligarchs actually which don't have assets but have cash actually related to the administration or to the uh, uh, government. Uh, there. So there are all classes actually of uh, those people. So I would, uh, my view that the using the word oligarch should be primarily meant because th this is used for public uh, appearances and often actually is misused uh, to, uh, um, uh, to take the attention from the real issues and towards actually uh, blaming uh, rich people actually for being rich and actually for running businesses. This has, doesn't have to be that way. The um, full uh, privatization, uh, uh, the uh, uh, removing any uh, involvement of state enterprises with the commercial, separating state and business, that should be that would be real actually effort for the uh, fighting corruption in the way uh, that uh, the uh, oligarchs uh, would would like to there and there are not many actually oligarchs left in Ukraine and uh, you actually how many <laughs> how many do we have uh, you mean you mean uh, lifetime or what do you mean uh, no I mean actually that uh, many of them either um, either lost the assets or they actually. Uh, uh, now, uh, as Steve correctly saying, they are not anymore, uh, do not anymore have access to like to the state budgets or anything, but it's still there are many actually things which are still controlled by so-called like oligarch classes. And I think the main problem there is with privatization. We have stalled on privatization uh, until now, and I'm a big believer that the privatization should actually clean that. So fighting uh, state enterprises uh, and the control on yeah. the state enterprises or tariffs or anything like that by the oligarchs will fail unless it's actually they, those businesses will be privatized and there will be private interest actually there yeah. and it will be done all according actually to rule of law and uh, uh, there. So, and uh, what is important that the, the, um, uh, there should be a distinction actually uh, Oligarchs, businesses, large businesses like which which is across the world is are there. They should not actually be uh, blamed uh, with this bad word oligarch <laughs> there per se, because uh, there are some businesses there like which has been built from scratch. Normally, oligarchs are related to uh, mines or some electricity companies or gas distribution, which inherited in terms of the privatization or uh, some illegal mm -hmm. access there. Good. But there are many new Ukrainian businesses especially in the agricultural sector, sure. there are like 10 or 15 that sometimes are called oligarchs, although they don't have maybe money actually because they invested all uh, the money into the assets which are in Ukraine there and they are mm -hmm. uh, struggling actually thank with you, their loan you. portfolios um, and everything. I, I yeah, so that's why it's, it's important. Yeah. Yeah. So we're running out of time, but still, um, Slava, 30 seconds uh, because we'll take questions from this side. Uh, the lady from Canada. Yeah, I'll, what is the role of diaspora? Yeah, I'll focus on diaspora, very simple. I think, I believe still that what I've said is the most vital and important core issues. So you can 
you can I know, endorse these things of education. You can meet your congressman and congresswoman, or in Canada, like you know, your your MPs, ministers. Ministers, by the way, you should you should uh, uh, like encourage the other people in diaspora to work on these educational issues, to work on the issues of you know interconnection and exchange of students and scholars and professors. You need to expose Ukraine to the world. That's also your role. And you need to back it and to endorse it only also to, to American government. Because I do believe that for American government is much easier and much more honorable is to say we help Ukraine having this educational Marshall Plan than to deal with, you know, defense stuff, which is tough today, or to deal with like multi-billionaire uh, requests of us to IMF and things like that. It's easier, it's cheaper, it's probably a little bit less uh, touchable in the short short term, that's true. But you should also, like you know, endorse and back that. That's Good. very important. Thank you, Slava. If I can, there's three, four questions here. So please, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Taking the time to uh, address this particularly challenging um, corruption issue. Um, but the question I had, and I, I think it's probably for Slava and Steve, although maybe the rest of you would have a response as well. It seems to me when I talk to investment professionals about putting money in Ukraine, what they say first is they're concerned that there will be further Russian penetration militarily in the country. And given European dependence on Russian oil, I wondered whether you thought, and, and again, I know this is a corruption panel, not a defense panel, but I wondered if you thought U.S. military assistance would be helpful in, in, in uh, improving the investment climate. Okay, thank you. Please. Uh, okay, we, well, we well, are happy to have yeah. many questions. <laughs> uh, usually I don't have questions, I have answers or opinions. <laughs> <laughs> so when I listen, Slava reminds me myself, 12, 13 years ago, I was the first Yale World Fellow, so now you're the current one. So you speak like I was speaking then. Great. Uh, I evolved a little bit, probably in a negative way, but uh, actually what I wanted to say is that when we talk about corruption, I think um, what is lacking here is the comprehensive understanding what to do with it. Because corruption is a result of bad governance. It doesn't appear as such. And um, um, it's very encouraging that a couple of things were already mentioned. What um, Igor mentioned was that uh, Ukraine inherited very bad laws and regulations. Without getting rid of these laws and regulations, nothing's going to happen. I'm sorry, you can have 200 anti-corruption bureaus and 700 anti-corruption legislation. It's not going to help. Because if you are leaving, you know, thousands of regulatory frameworks that are feeding corruption, and people who are engaged in this implementation of these regulations or non-implementing them, uh, corruption will not go away. So if you go to a Ukrainian restaurant and you have a three rubber stamps and signed by three different individuals who have nothing to do with menu, something is wrong. So start cleaning your own house by chopping and throwing away this legislation. So Ukraine is in a very strange situation when, when we are talking about rule of law, I don't want to implement those laws that they have. I would rather violate these laws or change them 
than implement, because these laws are the major impediment uh, and feeding the corrupt practices. Now, when it comes to uh, what you do with oligarchs, I'm sorry, but in the United States, 40% of the world is in the hands of 1% of population. So not big difference from Ukraine when you have a 60-60. It's not really by default bad things that you have a rich people. If these rich people pay taxes and the system is designed in a way that they will pay taxes, and as it was correctly mentioned, probably um, 100 companies pay 70% of the taxes in Ukraine. So then give some free rights to the, you know, the 30%, smaller, medium-sized enterprises. Um, third point, uh, education. Education is very important. But I think that in Ukraine you have already very huge number of the very smart people but the problem is, as it was mentioned, they are not allowed, all of them are, some of them are lucky, are not allowed to participate in a policy making or decision making. And either they are shying away to be part of it or they are not incorporated. So next thing you may probably do is go and organize them. And I don't know, it will be a political party or something else. And um, as for innovation, I have worked many years on that. He's not going to do anything in the Yale University. It's not how it works. And neither Ukrainian government can do artificial uh, second Silicon Valley kind of thing. It comes down to something very simple. If you create necessary environment, free environment, yes, Absolutely. for your smart people to flourish. And I'm always telling to people that these Russians, so-called Russians in Silicon Valley, and they're actually Ukrainians, they're not Russians. Mm -hmm. So if you create environment like Israelis did and some others, they will flourish domestically. Do you don't need Yale University to, to okay. or any other university to come there. You have already quite smart people on the ground. Just remove obstacles, change legislation, and everything will work. Thank you. May, Thank I, you. That's a may, good point. may I comment on that very quickly? If we get 30 seconds. Yeah. I once again, I didn't mean expertise by education. I meant the ability to live different life. That's something that you guys here know how to do, and then many Ukrainians don't know how to do. By education, probably I miss, misuse the word, but I meant even that. So we have many educated and many smart people who just sit in their offices and shine to go and smash the door of their office of, their, of the government because they're not ready for that, how the guys here in 617, 17.6 did. We don't have that amount of people there. Good. If we can just take the three questions. Yes, but I very small. I want to bring one in. If we can just 10 seconds, because uh, we're, we're running out of time. and uh... two, two times 10. One example. Uh, you have a new, uh, young, motivated, smart girl as a head of Odessa Customs. I know her personally. Uh, I know her very loosely. But what I want to say, people are telling me, come on, head of the custom. It should be a person who is bigger. I don't want to say words, you know. Great. Uh, yes. She's great. And I said, no. Because that's so you don't understand what the custom is. If you are talking about current custom, yes. But if you are talking custom as a service, then you do need a young and smart Absolutely people. Absolutely right. And this is a different concept for what you call custom no. and what I call customs. Yeah. So that's why if you are not changing this vision of these customs or the Absolutely order right. authority should be. Thank you. What? Lady, uh, second row.
So we've got three more questions and then we'll take it and... Okay. Uh, Yes, Please. hi. Uh, thank you for this uh, very timely discussion. I have a very specific question uh, for Mr. Fisher, uh, anti-corruption practice PwC. Uh, operationally, as a, as a head of the global financial, um, multinational financial institution, operationally, probably the word corruption is on your mind quite frequently, uh, corruption risks uh, during the day. Uh, if you could just name the top three, uh, operationally speaking, the top three corruption risks or corruption matters the city has to deal with in Ukraine. Okay. Um, today. So previous. Thank you. And there's two more questions. The the, the lady and the gentleman. Hello. My name is Maria Mindolashvili, and I'm from Ukraine, Crimea. Um, two years ago, right before Russia invaded Crimea, um, I got scholarship in University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Uh, and I came to study here. And two months after I came here, um, Russia invaded Crimea, and my family was forced to leave, and currently they are seeking political asylum in France. Um, so, and I've been here for two years, uh, and I tried to reach out to Ukrainian communities, um, but it's hard, it's quite an effort. Um, I emailed our embassy about three times, but. For some reason, my email didn't go through, and I also <laughs> tried to apply for volunteering opportunities in Ukraine, but they required a fee, like $1,000, which I don't really have. Um, so $1,000 for, for, for what? what? I don't know, for volunteering <laughs> and helping people, I guess. Do you want me to get in touch with the embassy? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. my email didn't go through for some reason. Well, th th there'll be a wine reception after this, and I think uh, yeah. we can uh, introduce um, it. So, Marie, yeah. so what, 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 what's your question? Yeah, uh, what advice would you give to young people like I am in this situation who want to help and make change? Okay, thank you, Maria. And, and the final question, the, the gentleman next to you. Uh, my name is... Hi, uh, my name is Andrei Matveev. I intern at the Hudson Institute. And we've already mentioned that oligarchs are one of the greatest threats to fighting corruption in Ukraine. Uh, my question is that the top tier oligarchs of the caliber of Kolomoisky, Avakhmetov, uh, they seem to hire out a lot of Western lobby and PR firms to build their images in the West. My question is if this makes the fight more difficult to limit their power in Ukraine. And if it is, what can we do here in, in the West to prevent these organizations from doing business with the oligarchs of the former Soviet Union? Thank you. So, Steve, let's we'll start with you. What top three corruption, what, what, what don't you sleep at night over, top three corruption uh, issues? I sleep very well at night because we have a very good approach to all of this. I think the first thing that is very, very important when you're concerned about corruption or working in any developing country for that matter is you have to know your customer. So before you work with any client, we are, we're only a corporate bank. We don't work with private individuals. We work with corporations in Ukraine. You have to understand the transparency of the company you're working with, who owns it, what do they do, where do they get their wealth, and how do they operate. So the first and most important rule for working in any developing market, Ukraine included, is know your customer, KYC. Second is when you're asked to do a transaction, you have to ask yourself, is this a legitimate transaction? Is there a legitimate business purpose behind it? and understand why the client wants to do that. So that's, it's very important to know what you're doing and the suitability and the legitimacy of any transaction, any mon money flow, any investment, any um, international or domestic transaction. And the third thing 
I think is basically following the law. As any um, foreign company operating in Ukraine, um, you have to follow the law, even though sometimes it might be unwieldy, it might be complicated, it may not be completely understandable, and you'll have to get multiple legal advices to understand exactly what it means. But for us as a foreign company working in Ukraine, we have to respect the, uh, the law and make sure that whatever we do um, you know, meets all legal requirements as set both by the United States, the EU, whatever laws might govern us internationally, as well as um, local domestic Ukrainian. And um, Steve, just picking up on Pete's question in terms of Russian penetration and U.S. military support. Yeah, well, you know, the national security issue is definitely a concern of foreign investors. Um, and, and, and that is one of the many concerns a foreign investor will have. And, um, you know, whether weapons will help or, or make the situation worse, you know, there's a hundred different opinions and I'm not going to answer that. But what I can say is that of the many concerns that a potential foreign investor would have, of course, the security situation in the country is one. But I do want to point out that 92% of Ukrainian territory is controlled by the Ukrainian government. And in this territory is enormous potential in agriculture that's operating at only one-third the efficiency of the United States or Western Europe, or there's enormous gas and oil reserves under the ground. So there's great opportunities to invest. So what do you need? You need rule of law. You need concrete measures. And I, I say now, not just in the medium term, but you need measures now against corruption, reduction of bureaucracy. And then you also need to have capital controls released because, for example, right now there's a lot of capital controls still in place in the country. One of them, for example, is the uh, prohibition of um, pay payment of dividends abroad. Well, it's very difficult to envision any new substantial investment coming in the country when you're not sure if you can remit dividends. Um, this is something that also has to be addressed in the, in the short-term future in order to get that spigot of FDI reopened. Right. Slava, uh, I, I, I do believe same question. Yeah, yeah, I do believe that defense issue is a very important one, and uh, there is no better argument for everybody who wants to help in defending the other's country than the um, confidence that this country is very much eager to defend itself. Uh, and that's one thing. And the second thing, I still believe that both America and EU uh, can do a lot of things, considering that the question of defense and weapons is very complicated, and even your president don't know the answer for that. So I will say there are easy answers, which are very, very practical. You can say, you talk about javelins, take anti-corruption javelins, take you know educational or anti-literacy or mindset change javelins say say take all of that missiles they they for sure will help and at least it's less complicated and less uh, ambiguous thing so you, you don't need to talk about that for years just do it today mm -hmm. Ihor, 30 seconds what's your advice to maria uh, well I was probably in a similar situation like 20 years ago there. I was once, one was, was 21 years. It was in, in, in Vanderbilt. I wrote, uh, I don't remember actually, an email to someone saying, okay, this is, uh, or how can I help or something like that. But uh, also no response. Uh, so uh, this is not something unusual. This is how the world works, unfortunately. So if you want actually to uh, do something to achieve, you have to knock more 
hardly actually. You have to network, you have to find actually the uh, right people. This is a great networking opportunity. You want to help, so the representatives from the embassy. That's how it is there, because people are getting hundreds, thousands of emails there and uh, not necessarily actually getting the right attention. Mm -hmm. This is not right. This is not an excuse. But uh, that's, that's unfortunately how it is. So use your network, uh, be more active, speak to people, find the people who know people, and that's how it will Okay, we thought, I mean, 30 there. seconds, the, the voice from the embassy. Yep. <laughs> 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 Thank you for this opportunity. I just wanted to reiterate once again that it's an excellent panel, I mean, you know, excellent, thank you, excellent thoughts. And uh, just wanted to uh, reiterate that fighting corruption is very high in the government's agenda. And it's uh, on a US-Ukraine uh, bilateral agenda as is, is well, very high. Administrative reform has been agreed with many partners, with the US after Secretary Pritzker visit recently to Ukraine. Uh, judicial reform as well in the pipeline, and you know that the Venice Commission has uh, endorsed recently uh, the reform of the ju judicial system. This is all, uh, you know, uh, happening, and it, it will happen. And just as uh, Anna said, we just need a little bit more of patience. We all want the things to happen as fast as possible, and uh, I assure you, we'll get there because this is very critical for the survival of uh, of, of the country. And uh, to the uh, girl, I wanted to say, you know, just get in touch with the embassy, and I will. Be ready to help you in any way possible. <laughs> Maria, there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah we're here. Question. And also, you know, I just, you know, just on a personal note, I can, you know, easily relate to the to the issue you have because my uh, older brother, he's, uh, you know, IDP from Crimea as well. He didn't ask refugee anywhere. I mean, he just relocated. He's uh, in the suburbs of Kiev right now and uh, trying to, I mean, you know, live a new life right now. So, but with regards to the particular issue, we're here. We're ready to help. Okay, and Andre's question, uh, Anna, do you want to take this one? In terms of, I mean, the question was, in terms of the oligarchs using PR and lobbying firms in Washington, I don't know if there are any lobbyists yeah. and PR uh, representatives here today, but um, okay, sh fine. should they be prevented? <laughs> First of all, I would like to come, come back to Maria's. First of all, I'd like to thank you for your active position. And in order to, do, in order to help the Ukrainians, please continue to knock the door, as, as, uh, as it was mentioned. But you should be sure what, uh, what concretely you would like to get. And in case you are focusing on something, you, ch you should look for volunteer organizations or other NGOs, which are um, actually serving the same goal. When it comes to embassy, I think that $1,000 uh, $1, fee is something beyond actually our mm, no, colleagues. It was not. Okay, fine. So I think let, let, let's just clarify yeah. that for the record. Uh, <laughs> I will now be fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. When it comes to the uh, PR uh, and, and oligarchs, I think personally that actually business will use any possibility in order to resolve this or another question. An oligarch will probably actually enter into those services agreements with this or another PR firm in order to protect themselves. The only thing uh, in order to actually fight that or oppose that is actually to have fair uh, attitude from the governmental leaders. In, in case actually government in, from inside Ukraine can make a change when it comes to fairness and judiciary system, and in case it can be helped by, Ukraine, by, by foreign governments, as well, who are actually uh, supporting this one other actually oligarch, uh, then I think that we will see some uh, some light in the end of the tunnel. Final thirty seconds, your remarks. One thing on the oligarch issue on, on PR, yes, there's money spent outside the country, and that has to be 
transparent and, and everyone has to understand what that means. But what's even more important is changing the law in Ukraine mm -hmm. so that there is transparency Absolutely. in political funding of political parties so everyone knows where the money comes from. And a lot of that money is coming from oligarchs and buying votes. That has to be addressed inside Ukraine, and that's even more important than what happens outside of the country. Slava, 30 seconds, final yeah, I, I just want to say that there is a famous American blues song which is called Move Over. Uh, and that's what we need to do with oligarchs. So you, you don't try to be populist and say we'll eradicate or destroy or get rid of them. It's impossible. Just be realist. Just move them over. That means just be conscious and be smart and shrewd enough to talk to them and to declare them that there will be equal attitude to all of them. And you give them possibility to exist because you can't eradicate the history of 20 something years. And you have absolutely wisely remarked that they have uh, thousands and hundreds of thousands of works, working places and things like that. Don't try to to fight them in a Hobbesian world. Don't try to destroy them because they're going to destroy them. Uh, they're going to try to destroy them like uh, mutually. And, you know, and it's, today, it's not usually understood who is stronger, oligarchs of the country. So don't do that. Don't be Robin Hood, Bush Root. Just move them over. And that's a very important thing. And other, our people either just do nothing and then uh, like very uh, populist, a populistic way, just declare things, or they try to personally fight some rivals of, or enemies of themselves. That doesn't work. Move them over. Okay, on that note, so move over. I would like to thank uh, the panel, uh, Ivor Petrashko, Stephen Fischer, Slava Khrushchev, Anna Drivianko. Thank, thank you. I would like to thank um, Alexa Chaputsky and the American Center for uh, European Ukraine, and uh, for everyone at the Atlantic Council. So thank you. And um, we are now being invited for a glass of wine. So uh, thank you, everybody. And I think, you know, this um, fight, securing the Ukraine's future, winning the fight against corruption, I think if we focus on together, we'll do it. Thank you.